everyone would turn in your Bible to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. This, uh, this psalm really could be broken up into two parts. First half is a call to worship. Verse 1 through first part of verse 7, it's a call to worship. And the second half, verse 7, the rest of verse 7, where it says today, all the way to verse 11 would be a warning. So we have a call to worship, and we have a warning here. We wanted to take a moment just to pause from the Gospel of Matthew and look at Psalm 95 together. It gives us a chance to reflect on what God has done and give us some direction going forward. And also remind us of why we're here, why we do what we do, and why we gather on the Lord's Day. And I believe that's what we need to hear as a church this morning. So let's read Psalm 95 and then we're going to pray. Verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. And let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we, as your people, Lord, we love your word. And we're so thankful, Lord, for a chance to read it together. And to meditate on these truths, God. And I pray that you would draw out our hearts to see the glory, your glory, God. And conform us into the image of Christ as your word washes over us, please. We need your help, God, to even... To even have ears to hear. So please, Lord, give us ears to hear. We love you in Jesus' name. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said this psalm had a, number one, a call to worship in the first half. 
and then a warning in the second half. So let's look at this call to worship. It's verse 1 through verse 7, most of verse 7, until you get to the warning where it says today. So we're going to look at this call to worship. It is a call. We see the word, the invitation to come three times right here. So look at verse 1. Oh, come. That's number one. Come. It's an invitation. It's a call. Verse 2. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Come, come. Look at verse 6. Oh, come and let us worship and bow down. So this, this is a call to come. Come, come to him. Now, don't miss the gospel in this. This is absolute mercy and grace from God. The only thing we deserve to hear from God is depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And here we got a scripture that says come. He invites us to come. Adam was removed from the garden. He was banished from the presence of God. And we're being called to come into it. Don't miss the gospel here. This is mercy from God. Now somebody might say, I can't come. You, you don't know how sinful I am. I just can't come. You don't realize the things that I've done. No, you don't know what Christ has done. You don't know the glory of Christ. He enters into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came on a rescue mission to deliver sinners like you. To take the worst of the worst, haters of God, and make them children of God. He goes to the cross. He dies for sinners. He dies in our place as a substitution. He takes the punishment you deserve. He takes your wrath. And, and based off the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you, you get this invitation. Not depart from me, but come into his presence with thanksgiving. Come, sing to the Lord. Come and worship and bow down. The path has been paid through the blood of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit says it three times here. Come, come, come. This is a call. It's a gospel call. Now it's a call to worship. Not just any call, it's a call to worship. Verse 6 uses that word, you see it there? Worship. Oh, come, let us worship. Uh, a similar word is up in verse 2. At the very end it says, songs of praise. So worship and praise. This is a call to worship. It's a call, a call to praise God. Now that word worship is very misused, undervalued in our culture. It tends to be very, used very flippantly in the church, worship. Uh, sometimes it's used too narrowly as if, Worship is just that moment where you stand up and you sing to God as if that's it. Although that is one expression of worship. It's not just singing to God. So it tends to be undervalued. The word worship, our English word worship, comes from an old English word that has the word uh, worth in it. Worthship is to, is to show the worth of God, to, to ascribe to God the greatest worth, is to worship Him. Now, the next psalm actually tells us that. I'm going to read this, Psalm 96. Listen to verse 7 through 9 for your definition for worship. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. What's he worth to you? What's his value? What is his worth? Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship. There's the word. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Worship is to attribute ultimate value to something or to someone. And it affects your emotions, it affects your will, it affects your mind. But it's to ascribe ultimate value to God, to worship God. And this is a big deal. This is a call to worship. And worship is the reason you exist. It's the, it's the reason, reason you have breath in your lungs, the reason your heart beats, the reason God saved you is for his worship. Isaiah 43, 7 says, My people whom I created, why? Whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Same chapter, verse 21 says, Those whom I formed and I made, they shall declare my praise. You exist for the worship of God. You exist for his glory, for his praise. This is a huge deal. Christians are not just moralists. Christians are not just moralist. We're not just another religious group with another set of good morals. We're not just uh, a people that know how to act right and don't be wrong. No, we've got someone to worship, someone we live for. Now, by the grace of God, this teaching, this whole idea of the centrality of worship in your life and the life of the church has been a foundational teaching at Grace Community Church from the very beginning. And we should praise him from that. God has delivered us from moralism. He's delivered us from being just mere moralists. Those, those that think the, that the Bible is just meant to tell you how to act rather than it's to tell you who to worship. God's delivered us from this. There was a phrase early on in the church that was uh, used a good bit. I, I don't know can't remember who coined it, but it was the, the latter half saints. I remember that phrase, the latter half saints. The latter half saints, that's those that, if you take the letters of the New Testament, like Ephesians and Romans and, you know, the letters of the New Testament, and the first half of those letters are doctrine about who God is, theology about who he is and what he's like and what Jesus has done, the promises, the things he's accomplished. It's about God. First half of the letters. Well, the latter half, the second half of the letter, usually explodes into obedience. Therefore, since God is this and, and Christ has accomplished this, therefore, latter half of the letter is do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. So a latter half saint is one that ignores, yeah, 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 doctrine, yeah, the glory of God, who God is, who Jesus is. Yeah, yeah, move on past that. What do we need to do and not do? And we were very tempted early on as a church to be latter half saints, and God delivered us from that. And now we realize that we exist for his worship. We exist for his glory. And from that place of worship for who God is, from that place we walk in obedience and look at the commands and the prohibitions of Scripture. 
Now, in this call to worship in Psalm 95, there's several different expressions of worship. Um, I see five expressions of worship in Psalm 95 in this call to worship. I see five of them, and I want us to look at each one. Number one, we see this expression of worship, singing. You see it here? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Look at the end of verse 2. Songs of praise. Singing is an expression of worship. Now notice, it doesn't just say sing about the Lord. It says sing to the Lord. Who's the object of our worship? Who's the object of our songs? Sing, look, look at it in verse 1, to the Lord. In verse 2, make a joyful noise to Him, to God, with songs of praise. These are songs to the Lord. I know a lot of you know this, but I would say this used to be a huge weakness at Grace Community Church. We always expected that there should be truth in our singing, but initially we tended to minimize the affections of singing to God. The zeal of singing to God, we tend to minimize that. We tend to have sing-alongs rather than, as it says here, songs of praise. We tended to sing about God, but not to God. One of the things we did early on as a church, not that every church has to do this, but one of the things we did early on is we tried to take the vast majority of the songs that we sing together and we grabbed the hymns and the songs of worship, the ones that had personal pronouns directly to the Lord to honor this. We want to sing to the Lord, not just about God, but to God in his presence. And this is a glorious thing. Grace Community Church, God has delivered us. We hadn't arrived in this, but God has delivered us from dead singing. I want to exhort you with this, Psalm 66, verse 1. Shout, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. I love that, that, that verse. Don't just give him praise. Give him glorious praise. Sing to him, all the earth. Give him glorious praise. Now, the second expression of worship here is joy. Look at it, verse 1. Let us make a joyful noise. Verse 2. Let us make a joyful noise. This is not a call to some sort of trivial happiness that depends on circumstance. This is the joy of those who triumph in war. This is a deep joy that it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around you. You have joy because your joy is not in any circumstance, but it's in God. Your delight is in God. It's an expression of worship. Christians are called to this kind of joy. We're called to live in this sort of joy in God. Now this has been, again, this has been a foundational thing for Grace Community Church from the very beginning. The importance of joy in the Christian life. Not just joy in general, but delight in God. Joy in God. Rejoicing in Him, in His presence, in who He is. So joy in God. We're not just called to act right and to know a lot of doctrine. We're called to delight in our Savior. 
Now, scripture that was often quoted, I remember at the very beginning of the church, a, a scripture that was often quoted was 1 Peter 1.8. It says, although you don't see him, you love him. Now, although you don't see him, you believe him with, with rejoicing, with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. And I love that phrase. That that's, that's what we're called to, to walk in this joy, inexpressible rejoicing in God. And when you do that, it's full of glory. It's filled with glory to God. This joy in God, delight in God, is a pathway to, the re, to, to living out the reason you exist. Glorify God. Worship God. John Piper used to use, or, or I know at some point he's used the analogy of, taking flowers to somebody at a hospital. You take flowers, imagine me taking flowers to somebody at a hospital, and I give them the flowers, and they say, thank you so much for these flowers. And I say, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor, that's what I gotta do. Does that honor them? Does mere duty honor them? And the answer is no. But what should I say, and hopefully from the heart, thank you for, thank you for bringing those flowers, and it's my joy to bring this to you. It's a pleasure for me to get to bring this to you. It's, it's my joy. I rejoice to get to bring this to you. And that honors them. And in the same way, our joy in God, our delight in God, is a pathway to glorify God, the reason we exist. To worship God, the reason we breathe. I believe in the early days of Grace Community Church, we were very tempted towards stoicism this sort of uh, no emotions and it's really a reaction to the emotionalism we see all over our culture there's a, there's this this uh, emotions for the sake of emotions whip you up into a froth you know it's emotionalism all over our culture and as a reaction to that we had a tendency or at least a temptation to be unbiblical and write off emotions altogether but what's this calling us to joyful noise make a joyful noise to the lord rejoice in the lord always delight in his word God delivered us from stoicism. Now, number three, the third expression of worship we see here is thanksgiving. Look at it in verse, verse two. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Now, this, this expression, thanksgiving to God, is very connected to joy in God, right? You're rejoicing in him. You're, you're, there's gratitude in your heart towards him. And this thanksgiving to God is also very connected to the reason you exist to glorify and worship God. You remember the story of the ten lepers that Jesus healed? There were ten lepers there and Jesus, Jesus heals them all, sends, sends, them, sends them back to the priest to do what the law said after they were lepers that were healed. And out of the ten lepers that were healed, it says that one of them came back to give thanks, thanksgiving. One of them, only one came back to give thanksgiving to Jesus. Jesus says, has only one return to give glory to God? You see the connection there between thanksgiving to God and the reason you exist to glorify God? 
Ten lepers had an experience with Jesus. Ten lepers were blessed by Jesus. Only one let it lead them to the reason they exist, to glorify, worship him through thanksgiving to God. Psalm 50 verse 20, 23 says, The one that offers the sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me. There's a little insight. How do I live for your glory? How do I do what, I, what I'm made to do? The one who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me. A verse I remember being referred to often in the early days of Grace Community Church is Hebrews 13, 15. Listen to this verse. I want to, I want to call you to renew your commitment to this. Through him... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. It's the reason we exist. Worship, praise, glory. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Man, there's a connection between thanksgiving to God and you worshiping God. You glorifying God. The fruit of your lips giving thanks to his name. Adoration. To God, joy in God, holy gratitude, this coming out in thanksgiving, these are things that tend to diminish in people's lives, in the flesh. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, these things can increase more and more and more. And I pray that happens with us, even to our final breath. A fourth expression here of worship, number four. It's to desire his presence. To desire his presence. We see it in verse 2. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. To come into his presence. Now again, this also was something foundational to Grace Community Church in the very beginning. Come into his presence. Desire, long for, yearn for the presence of God. Now, to obey this command, come into his presence, or other commands like it, like, like in the Psalms, it, it says, uh, seek his presence continually. Enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Seek his presence continually. To obey commands like that, or even to talk like that, even to speak about the presence of God, was almost stolen from us. As a church, it was almost stolen from us. A lot of stuff that goes on in the charismatic movement and our culture misuses this language and substitutes this, this language of the presence of God. And again, it's just some emotional manipulation is all that it is. And they misuse it. And so many of us saw that and almost responded in an unbiblical way and reacted in a way that we took that out of our language. And maybe even took that out of our desires. And this can leave people in a place where you know a lot of doctrine, but you don't long for the person of God, for the presence of God. Isaiah 64 verse 1, Oh God, rend the heavens and, and come down, Lord, that the mountains might tremble at your presence. And God delivered us from that. Again, we hadn't arrived, but God delivered us from this. Grace Community Church, don't lose that. And what I mean is this. God is omnipresent God. Amen. 
He's not limited by spatial dimensions. He's everywhere at all times. You can't hide from his presence. And that's glorious, but it's not what I'm talking about. There's the covenant presence of God where he promises I will be to his people. I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's glorious. It's beautiful. But it's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what the Puritans used to call the manifest presence of God. Oh, rend the heavens and come down. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, as James said. We've longed to be, and I believe God has helped us, and Lord help us more, be a people of the presence of God. Now, last one I mentioned, the fifth expression of worship here is submission. Look at verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship, look at these two words, and bow down, that's one phrase, bow down, let us kneel, before the Lord our maker. Now that's telling you a posture. Bow down. Kneel. I believe, I believe it was Spurgeon that said. Uh, posture is not everything. But posture is something. Bow down. Kneel. Well what's underneath that? What's underneath this? When, when somebody bows down to the king. When they kneel to the king. What are they doing? This is submission to him. This is obedience. This is, I want to obey you. I want to do whatever you say. Whatever you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. And this submission or this obedience to God is an expression of worship. Now, there was a lot of, do you know this, do you know this word? There was a lot of antinomianism floating around in the early days of Grace Community Church, and there still is. So I guess you could probably always say that. A lot of antinomianism. Antinomianism is anti-law. It's to be anti-law. It's, it's a false grace. It's, it comes under the banner of gospel grace, but it's not the Titus 2 grace. The grace of God that brings salvation, teaching us to deny worldliness and ungodly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. It's not that grace. It's a cheap grace. Sometimes it comes under the banner of gospel-centeredness, but it's a false gospel-centeredness. I love gospel centrality. I love it, but the kind of gospel I believe in and you believe in is a gospel that not only forgives you of your sins and wipes the record clean, praise God for Christ, death on the cross to wipe the record clean, but also those who are in Christ have been freed from slavery to sin. Not only forgiven, but freed from slavery to it. You can walk in obedience to God. But antinomianism is a false gospel centrality. Any talk about obedience or commandments or submission to God's word is automatically considered legalism. But what does Jesus say in John 14, 15? He who loves me keeps my commandments. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. Or Psalm 95 here. Come and worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker. Praise the Lord. God has delivered us 
from antinomianism. We believe the gospel, and we haven't arrived, and we need to continue to press on. But we believe the gospel that not only, frees you, not only forgives you, but frees you from slavery to sin. Now, in this call to worship, there's a little hint about how to worship. Now, what I mean there, I don't mean how to worship as in, like, like the expressions tell us how to worship, right? Sing, submit, bow down, obey, thanksgiving, enter into his presence. Like, that's telling us the how of worship, okay? But that's not what I mean. There's a hint here at, that, that can give us a hint as to what do you do when your heart's not in that place? When your heart's not in that place of worship, how do, you, how do you get your heart there? How do you get your heart to a place to worship God, to adore Him and bow down and submit to Him and praise Him and thanksgiving and joy and sing to Him? How do you get your heart there? And we have a hint here in this psalm. The word for, F-O-R, for, is used twice. And if you, if you find them, you'll get a little hint about how we get our hearts in these right places of worship. So look at it. Verse 3 says, For, now hear this out. Verse 1 and 2 says, Come worship, come sing, come rejoice, joyful noise to God. Come do that. For, and the reason given points us to the glory of God and who He is. Oh, if you could just see who He is. Same thing happens in verse 7. For, Verse 6 says, come, let us worship and bow down. Verse 7 says, for, and it points you to something about God, about who he is and what he's done. Let's look at that, verse 3. For the Lord is a great God. Do you know him that way? He's great. He's a great king above all gods. He's not some little village god. He's over the whole universe, the great king over all the false gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. It all belongs to him from the deepest place to the highest place. The depths of the ocean where no man is touched to the peak of the mountains, it says here, it's all his. Every square inch is his. The sea is his. You've looked out over that ocean. It belongs to God. For he made it. And his hands formed, he used the word form like a potter, form and clay. He forms the dry land. That's the glory of our creator God. Why worship? Why come and bow down? Why sing and praise? Look at this God. Look at creator God. It all belongs to him. And then look at verse 7. For he is our God. He's not just the creator God, but as the rock of salvation, he's our God. He belongs to us. And look at this. And we are his people. We belong to him. There's this personal thing where he belongs to us and we belong to him. And we're the people of his pasture. We're the sheep of his hand. He's the shepherd and we're like his sheep. How could the God of glory that flings out stars and planets make us his people? Man, this is glorious. Why worship? For he's our God. And we're the people of his pasture. We're the sheep of his hand. That's why we should worship. Now think about what this teaches us. These two statements of why worship, 
Think about what it teaches us. The more you know God truly, the more you will worship God. Right? The more clearly you see glorious things about God, the more you will ascribe to Him the glory to His name. The deeper the theology, the higher the praise. The deeper the theology, the higher the worship. Worship does not make sense if your theology is weak. Worship does not make sense if your theology is weak. There's a verse in John 4, 22. Again, this is a scripture I remember being uh, uh, talked about a lot at the beginning days of the church. And, and it's where Jesus looks at the Samaritan woman. And he says, you worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. Worship doesn't even make sense when, when theology is weak. When you don't know him. It's just a superficial, external, fake worship if it's not rooted in the deep theology of who God is. This has been, this idea has been central to Grace Community Church from the beginning. And I think something we should rejoice in is that, praise God, He has delivered us from shallow theology. We have not arrived, but He's delivered us from shallow theology and therefore fake worship. How do you get your heart in that right place of worship? You need to see who He is. You need to see him. You need to know him. And the more you know him, the more you'll worship him. Now, here's an important question. Where did the psalmist get this theology from? These thoughts about God, where did he get it from? And the answer is, he got it from the scriptures. He got it from the word of God. How do you know that? Look at verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness. You know what he's referring to there? He's referring there to something that happened in Exodus 17. This psalmist is thinking about the scripture when he gives his warning. And he's thinking about the scripture when he describes what God is like. He's thinking about John, uh, Genesis chapter 1. He's thinking about the book of Job when God describes his glory. He's thinking about these things in the word of God. So who are the people of God to be? The people of God are to be true worshipers who explode in worship to God. And it's rooted in, saturated in the word of God. The words of God. And praise God, he is, we've not arrived, but God has helped us. God has helped us to be worshipers rooted in. In the word of God. Now we need to go to the warning. So again the warning starts at the end of verse 7. Where it says today. If you hear his voice. Now this is going to be quoted. We'll read it in a minute. This will be quoted. The full warning will be quoted in Hebrews chapter 3. Okay. And if you go read Hebrews chapter 3. It becomes really clear that this today makes this warning applicable for every generation. In fact, there's a cool little phrase in Hebrews 3 where he says, as long as it's called today. And you're supposed to go, oh yeah, every day I've lived, it's called today, today, today. As long as it's called today. So for every generation, this warning stands today if you hear his voice. And the command is very plain. Look at the command there. Do not Harden your hearts. 
Man, come worship. That's the, that's the song. Come worship. Don't be calloused. Come worship and bow down. Kneel before the Lord our Maker. Don't be hardened. Come on, don't be hardened. That's the warning here. We need to hear this today. And somebody might ask, what do you mean be hardened? What do you mean don't be hardened? Don't harden your hearts. What does it mean? Well, he gives us an example. In verse 8 and 9 here, he says, As at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your father... So he's pointing back. He says, Let me, he says hey, don't harden your hearts. Let me give you an example. Your fathers, Israel that was before you, they put me to the test. They put me to the proof. You go look up that word Meribah and Masa, and you, and you say, what, what are we talking about? And it takes you back to Exodus 17. And what do we find in Exodus 17? Here's these people, and I want you to think about it. They had been delivered out of Egypt. All the plagues that came down and, and just glorified God. Look at the power of God over all the other gods come raining down. They saw it with their eyes. And they walked out. They were slaves in Egypt who walked out. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. And the enemies destroyed. They saw manna come down from heaven. They saw these things. They tasted the glory of God and what he had done. And yet what they do? They harden their hearts. They seem so close to God and yet they harden their hearts. And they walked away. Now the focus here, in this, in this example and this warning, hear me out on this. The focus in this example and warning is not just people who rebel against God. Not just generally people that rebel against God. It is a, it's a warning for those who have been delivered from so much. And have seen so much glory of God. And yet still harden their hearts. And walk away. That's the warning. You see it in verse 9, don't you? When your fathers put me to the test and, and put me to the proof, look at this phrase. Though they had seen my work, they saw what I did. They had seen my work. They saw what I did. And they still hardened their hearts. That's the warning. That's the focus of this warning. I want you to think about how this applies to us at Grace Community Church. Man, we have been delivered from so much. I mean, even as we walk through just those few things in the, in the call to worship here, we've been delivered from so much. God has helped us, helped us so much. We've seen so much glory of God. We've seen souls saved. We've seen people's eyes open. We've seen laborers sent out and churches started in places where there was not a church before. This is glorious stuff God has let us see and be a part of. Listen to the warning. Don't harden your heart. Don't be calloused. Don't turn away. What's the consequence if they do and if we do? Verse 10 says, For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. That's severe consequence, eternal consequence. Don't turn away. Don't harden your heart. Severe consequence. 
Now this warning in this psalm is a call for the people of God to persevere to the very end. Keep going. Make it to the end. In fact, it's not just a call for you to persevere. It's a threat to you. It's a threat to the people of God. That if you don't persevere to the end, you will not enter into his rest. Now this doctrine has often been called the perseverance of the saints. And that's been a foundational doctrine at Grace Community Church from the very beginning. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Now what I want to do now is I want to turn your attention. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 3. I want to turn our attention now to Hebrews chapter 3, if you'll go there. In this chapter, like I said, the full warning of Psalm 95 is quoted, exposited, and then the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, the saints must persevere to the end, to enter to his rest, is taught. So I want to draw your attention here. So look at Hebrews 3, and I want you to see the perseverance of the saints here. Verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if. Now that's a weighty if. That's an eternal consequence if. We are his house if Indeed, we hold fast our confession and our boasting and our hope. This is connected to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that, that we are his house if we persevere to the end, if we hold fast our confession. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and we get the warning from Psalm 95, don't harden your hearts. You're his house if you persevere to the end, if you hold fast to the end. Therefore, don't harden your hearts like they did at Meribah and Massa. Don't harden your hearts. And then look at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if, again, a very weighty if, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, this is a flat-out denial of the false doctrine of decisionism. Decisionism. Yeah, I made a decision about Christ, you know, years ago. God saved. Doesn't matter how I live now. Doesn't matter how I live. Doesn't matter how I persevere. Doesn't matter how I make it to the end. I made a decision back there. Therefore, I'm fine. I'm good. It's a demonic thing that's, that's condemned many people to hell. And praise God. God has, through the perseverance of the saints, through these truths, through God's word, God has delivered Grace Community Church from that false doctrine. Now, this doctrine, the perseverance of the saints, taught in Psalm 95, taught here in Hebrews 3, does this mean works-based salvation? You can earn your salvation. And the answer is absolutely not. And let me quickly tell you why the answer is absolutely not. The reason why is because when you read a verse, the tense matters. The tense of the verb actually matters. Think, think again, Hebrews 3, 6. You are his house if you hold firm that confession to the end. It does not say future tense. You will be his house if you hold fast to the end, as if you earn it and then you got it. No, you are his house, and how do you know 
What is the fruit of those that are the house of God? You hold fast that confession to the end. Same thing in verse 14. You have come to share in Christ. Not future tense. You will come to share in Christ if you make it to the end. No, no, no. It says you have come to share in Christ. And how will we know if we have come to share in Christ? Because my faith is in Christ now. And I walk with Christ now. And it perseveres to the end. This is not works-based salvation. This is only possible by the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for sin. That's my only hope. And the one that died for me on the cross is risen. He's, he's now the great high priest who always lives to make intercession for his people. That's Hebrews 7. And Hebrews 7 says, Therefore, since he's always living to make intercession for us, we can be saved to the uttermost. We can persevere to the end. This doctrine glorifies Christ, not man. The perseverance of the saints. Now, one of the applications of this amazing doctrine is to do exactly what the psalmist does. Here's one of the applications, to do exactly what the psalmist does. He get, the psalmist, Psalm 95, he gets the attention of the people of God, right? He gets their attention. Those who know his word, those who have seen his work, and he urges them, continue on in worship. Come worship. Come sing to him. Make a joyful noise to him. He urges them to that, and then he warns them, don't put your guard down. Don't harden your heart. Lest you be condemned in the end. That's an application of this doctrine. And that's what we see the psalmist doing in Psalm 95. So I would say that to you, brothers and sisters. Worship and bow down. Spend your whole life, your songs, your submission, your, your, your joy in Him, your thanksgiving in Him. Spend it all. Worship Him. And listen, Grace Community Church, feel warned by this. Don't harden your hearts. The battle's not over. We've been a church for a short time. Don't harden your hearts. Now, I want to close by drawing our attention to something. Just one other thing in these two passages. We see this in Psalm 95 and we see this in Hebrews 3. I just want to draw your attention to it in closing. And it's the corporate nature of these things. In other words, all these things we're talking about, this call to worship and this warning, it has a church, a church shape to it. It has a corporate, not just individual, not just, not just you as an individual, but a corporate shape to it. It has a church shape to it. Now, that's really clear in Psalm 95. Now, if you go back, you can go back and count them. The plural there. Think about it. Let us. It's corporate. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful shout to the Lord. Let us worship and bow down. He is our God. We are the people of his passion. We're the sheep of his hand. It's, it's, you can go into that plural, that let us and our God. is like 10 to 12 times in there. So this call to worship is a corporate call to worship. Now this warning in Psalm 95 is also corporate. He says, do not harden, not your heart, singular, but your hearts. People of God, don't harden your hearts. Listen to the corporate nature. Don't harden your hearts. Hearts, plural. And so I want to close, because here's because this is what this is like. Psalm 95 is a corporate call and a warning 
that's similar to what we see in Revelation 2 and 3. Remember Revelation 2 and 3? Jesus speaks to not just an individual, but Jesus speaks to the church. And he commends them, and he calls them, and he warns them. And that's what Psalm 95 is like. It's to the church. It's to the people of God. And so I want us to close by that you're already, you should already be there in Hebrews 3. And I want you to notice